As a kid, have you ever wondered how to make your ideas come to life? Welcome to Spark, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. Tune in weekly to hear great ideas. Wouldn't it be great if we could sell all of these toys and make money, and then use that money to bring books to the kids in India? It's about passion. Well, whatever your passion is, just keep following it. If A nine-year-old like me could follow my passion. Anybody could do it. I started following my passion when I was three and a half. It's about taking risks, especially as a middle schooler. Is you have to recognize that you have more time and more ability to take risks than anyone else. And it's about knowing how to deal with no's. I have a saying that says no is just an abbreviation for next opportunity. And so after every no, after every ten no's. You're still gonna get a yes. It can be a simple yes. It can be a really big yes. Listen to real stories about the impact you can create as a kid. I truly believe that anyone at any age can make a difference.、Um, you know, if you would have asked me and my parents if little five-year-old Catherine would have continued、uh, her fundraising efforts for so so many years and made such a big impact, we would have said, "What are you talking about? Like, there's no way that's gonna happen." And also encouragement from other kids to pursue your dreams and giving back. You're never too young or too old to start a business, or you're never too young or too old to give back to charity because it's very helpful for the kids in need. All kinds of real stories about kids and adult creators who have made real impact in the world. If you want to be inspired, subscribe to Spark. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Hello, everyone. This is Lee,、uh, your host at Spark. This is Yang, your co-host at Spark. It is very exciting that we finally have twelve episode of Spark already. So,、um, getting into something it's really really hard, and sticking to it is even harder. So, I think reaching to two digits, which is more than ten episode,、uh, we could celebrate it as a milestone for our podcast. Yeah, so already months have passed by, and we have finally made it to our thirteenth interview, which marks our fifteenth episode on Spark. And as usual, before we dive into the series, we will make an introduction episode about this whole series. Yes. So as our new series is called "Change Makers in Education," this is more a of a series, you know, for parents and. And teachers, rather than for kids, because I think these topics are rather deep, and the discussions are mo- mostly led by adults. Like for by myself, I interviewed、um, most of the speakers,、um, and to be honest, this has been the hardest series ever we started. The main reason is that we, as a podcast creator and producer, we have encountered a lot of、um, one of the common problems、um, that entrepreneurs. Face, which is rejection. Yeah, so a lot of the invitation emails that are sent out to invite guests, you know, speakers to come to this podcast, ended up like a rock. I throw it out and that dropped into the ocean. There's no ripple, no response at all,、um, which can be frustrating. But as Gabby Goodwin, the kid entrepreneur from Spark, our second episode, the guest speaker told us, she said. No is an abbreviation for next opportunity. So we just have to keep looking and trying until everything works out. So this is the main reason we created the podcast. 
Not only you can learn lessons from our speakers, everybody who invite、um, we invite to the podcast, but also through our process of making Spark, you can also learn and grow with us as a creator. So I will update,、um, you know, all the difficulties and all those great things that are going on at Spark. So I hope you can follow us along. Yeah. So for all the people that are following us and tuning in on Spark. Uh, we really thank you because without you, we really cannot have made made it this far. And、uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the updates about our new episodes. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Again, this is a special episode because we are about to dive into another series called Change Makers in Education. So related to education, as you know, I'm still in middle school. The first thing I wonder was. Who invented school to begin with? Hmm, that is a great question. Um, yeah, I'm thinking like Yang, are you really questioning? Because like out of your curiosity, or you don't like to go to school, and so <laughs> you know, so this question come out because you really question the existence of school. Um, well, yeah, I will choose the first one probably. Yeah, everybody put uh would probably would be curious, you know, about the existence of school. So. Thanks to the internet, we are able to find the answers to this kind of question nowadays very easily, right? Just a note: me personally don't know the answers, but all the following questions, you know, all the like kind of answers to this kind of question related to history and a lot of the backgrounds about education come from the internet. So, according to Kate Broomey from Science Trend, the first idea of formal schools of education can be seen as early as 500 A.D. in ancient Greece, ancient Rome, and even ancient Egypt. So over time, education and schooling become more and more important to different societies. So a lot of countries start to make education a mandatory kind of practice that everybody has to do. In the United States, Massachusetts made a mandatory schooling in sixteen forty two, and in terms of the modern education in the U.S., it was、um, Horace Mann who lived、um, from. Seventeen ninety six to eighteen fifty nine, who was the secretary of Massachusetts State Board of Education, and he created a number of public schools in Massachusetts and reformed the public schools. And later, many different states followed this idea. Thus, formal public school was born. Well, that's really interesting. And you know, now that I think about it, that's like a long time ago, almost four hundred years. So. You know, even with the public school system, who would decide what days to go to school and why?、Mm, those, like, that's another great question. Yeah, yeah.、Um, a lot of, I guess, a lot of kids go to school probably wondering about the same thing. Yeah, in in the United States, in other countries, you know, like Asian countries where they have to go to school probably even on the weekends. So. Seems like、uh, each state can decide their own requirements on the number of instructional days or the hours that they are in schools、um, in the year in the whole year. So the majority of the states set the school year at a hundred and eighty days.、Um, so basically, thirty states are doing that. So 
students are required for 180 days in school. And 11 other states set the minimum numbers of instructional days between 160 to 179 days. And then two other states, which is Kansas and Ohio, and they set the minimum um, days above 180 days. So I think this can vary based on countries too. As I said, I know U.S. is like this. Maybe Canada is different, and you know, like in England is another setting. In China and Korea, I think all the countries can have their own, um, probably uh, school days. So uh, that varies, states by state and countries. You know, from countries. Yeah. So so different schools from different districts can have their own scheduling based on their own situation. Now, I guess. You know, besides those kind of questions, you know, which is rather big, I actually would like to chat about um, of our own education experience and how we felt about our current school, you know, system at this age uh, based on our own experience. And um, so, Yang, since you are still in middle school, thinking back um, about your elementary school, what kind of school did you go to and what do you think about it? Yeah, so... I myself have experienced um, different backgrounds, different situations, and schools in different places. So most recently, uh, I visited China and I visited their schools, and I recently figured it was really different than the schools we have here in America. Um, I realized that having you know and going to school in California and Silicon Valley, all this money, I was really privileged. Uh, every student had their own computer, their own iPad. And it was really relaxed, and there's not as much stress on us by teachers or assignments. Um, I feel like in America, most of it is just based off uh, supporting different types of students and just having them transition to higher levels of education. Um, well, compared to uh, compared here to Chinese schools, when I went to a Chinese school, uh, I feel like they base it off as much learning as possible, right? They try to like cram in um, all the education, trying to get as much information in their head, and it's basically trying to maximize the efficiency of learning compared to here. So basically, all in all, uh, I feel like the schools I went to are very privileged or really relaxed, and it was really nice experience when I was younger. It helped me transition a lot to my middle school. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thinking back about my primary school uh, education experience, I actually went to I went to two different schools uh, because I actually grown up in the countryside with my grandparents. So the first three years that I went is actually a countryside primary school, which is a very small school. Um, yeah, back in the southern um, like province in China, in Hunan province in China. So. Um, it was a small school, so a lot of the things are less structured. So basically, each uh, grade only has one class and uh, has several teachers, you know, teach that one grade. Um, and one teacher can teach several different grades as well. And it was relatively conservative because I think in the 80s yeah, in China and in the countryside, so a lot of uh, things are not quite open and um, I guess a lot of the subjects that we are learning are not quite to the level that I knew nowadays as well. Yeah, so uh, we are only mainly focused on the main subjects like Chinese, English, and math. Um, actually, not even English that much, yeah, to be honest. Um, so it's like more like math, science, Chinese, yeah, and, and politics, yeah, I think. So it was 
less resources, I guess, to rely on. So later, when I transitioned to a bigger city, that I was able to get into a much bigger elementary school, and of course, there are more rules and regulations, yeah, as to what we learn and how you know teachers teach and. It was from them、um, that I learned a lot of, you know, like the new knowledge from the city as well. But I knew that there were way more opportunities and different variety of resources as well. So I can see a much bigger picture of, you know, the variety of students I can get into,、uh, like hangouts and, you know, classmates that I knew.、Um, so I think it's a great transition that allowed me to experience two. Different schools, so I can tell you know which one is better. Yeah, but of course, compared to your experience, Yang, in the U.S., it's totally another, I guess, story. Yeah, so we can talk about that more.、Um, but if because you are still in middle school and、um, and I don't, I know that your own experience doesn't you know represent the overall experience of every school of for every students, but. Just for you, like say personally, what do you like or dislike about your current, you know, school system? Like anything, anything that you wanted to express or tell us, yeah, let us know. Like, yeah, are you going to a public school or private school? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. So my current plans for the future is that I'm going to continue on going to public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, that are near me. It's going to be, I think, more efficient for my parents and myself. So currently, we're trying to go on public schools. But you know that's that could be also a blessing and a curse, right? So compared to private schools, public schools are really relaxed and they don't really you know pressure students to do well, which is I think an issue in our current school system. I feel like there needs to be different levels because currently in our schools, all the classes are all together, no matter on what you know level the stu- school、uh, what level the student is. You know、uh, how much experience they have in this general topic, so the people that you know maybe be more advanced or have more experience in the general topic will probably be dragged down by the students who need more help, and I think the students that need more help will be more rushed by the advanced students. So I feel like that's just a lost loss situation, and I really don't like that about our current public schools.、Mm. But maybe you know moving on to some good things. The teachers and staffs in the public schools are really like really nice and helpful. So they support,、uh, you know, all different types of students,、uh, no matter you know where they come from, you know how, how you know smart they are,、um, how much experience they have, and they're just really helpful, really nice. There's different categories, and in fact, I think one of the best things we have in our school is that we have a lot of different classes just to support. You know, maybe some people that just came from other countries, not that strong in English. Wow.、Um, you know, yeah. So there's a lot of different. So basically, I feel like in the current schools, in middle school and elementary school,、uh, most of the effort and time is spending on having you know the students have a positive experience while trying to adjust to high schools and middle schools. Yeah.、Um, some other things are like、uh, maybe a little minor. Just try to boost the morale and positivity of the schools have, as you know, it's typically、uh, spoken that students always you know hate schools, right? So we have a lot of our school offers a lot of different electives, and we have、um, to support you know what the student wants, what they like to do, what they enjoy as electives, and we also have many different assemblies and meetings. 
uh, mandatory. So, you know, they talk about school spirit, how they should enjoy school, uh, why they should go to school, and other topics to support their mental health, such as like stopping bullying, cyberbullying, um, etc. So, you know, in general, uh, those are, you know, some things I like and dislike about my current schools. So what about you, Lee? Do you have similar experiences, you know, some uh, things you like or dislike uh, of the schools you went to? Because I had mostly Chinese education, as I said, uh, in the southern part of China. And um, the only thing that I guess I wanted to talk about really is the performance and test-centric system to evaluate students, just like the things that you saw uh, young in the Chinese education where they're taking advantage you know, of the time to put in, uh, as to squeezing as much information, as much knowledge as possible into the student's head. So sometimes a lot of the, a lot of the abilities and you know, qualities, if they cannot be found in a simple test, and then a lot of students would not pay, be paying attention to, you know, to those kind of skills or those kind of qualities, yeah. But, um, you know, we do very heavily rely on the test score. So that's how um, it determines how a student can learn and also study from a school system. And that makes learning not so much fun. And instead, it has taken away some of the essence of learning, you know, which is to practice um, the learning and really utilize that in the real life, you know, benefit um, from the knowledge from a real life, yeah. But because I, I still remember after I finished the test, especially the national exam, that a lot of things that I remember, you know, that I was forced to remember because it's like for test needed that I don't really remember it anymore because I wasn't really experiencing, you know, the part of the knowledge and I was just memorizing it and if the experience was not there and it's really, really hard to, you know, like to keep that knowledge in my head forever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that I hope to, you know, hope not to see in the future for other students and for other kids. And I hope, you know, like in the future, those aspects can be improved. And I know there are, you know, a lot of people who are making the efforts to improve that as well. Yeah. So I hope what you were saying, you know, like a lot of schools are trying to make efforts for the students learning experience and also for them to transition from different stage to different, to different stage. And I hope that can, you know, go well uh, in the Chinese education where I came from as well. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like those are like say very um, general questions, right, about the school system and about our own learning experience. But uh, when we dive into a little more specific, um, what was, yeah, what is or what was your favorite subjects, yeah, yeah, and why do you like that subject? How did you find it easy or fun to study? Yeah, can you tell us a little more about that? Right. So. You know, I think it really depends on, you know, the type of teachers or what you're doing in class. So currently, I think my favorite subjects would be social studies. Mm. Um, but it might have varied a lot. It has varied a lot during my past years of learning. Cause, um, because, you know, reading a textbook the whole time and, you know, taking tests in a social study class is a lot different for the student than working on, you know, fun group projects, you know, interactive exercises. So I feel like, um, although my current favorite subject is social studies, it will probably change a lot depending on what we do in class. Mm. Um, so that's, that's what I think. So what about you, Lee? Well, you know, before we dive in about my parts, I actually wanted to know what 
What is about social study that really attracts you or made you think it's fun and easy to study? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So about social studies, I, I really enjoy it because it's really interesting to learn about the experiences and the lifestyles of maybe people in our past or people in different regions. And currently, um, during our social studies time, we're studying about the Civil War, right? And, you know, what type of mm -hmm. student doesn't, you know, like to read about weapons and war? Because th that's, um, that's generally what a lot of uh, students in our generation really like, really like. And this was actually made in our school to adjust to what our students like. Um, so currently, our teacher, rather than having us to read textbooks and study maps, we started doing a lot more group projects, interactive exercises, like uh, fun projects that we're starting to do in class. And I feel like learning about you know the types of people around the world and the types of people in the past are really interesting for me. So first of all, I love arts, but that was a discovery from my parents. Yeah, um, that they found that I love art. So I actually went to a so-called, you know, like a um, hobby school, you know, for like taking extra time aside from school time to to learn that. Yeah, so it, it, it just brings me enjoyment. That's why, you know, I love that part. But um, I, do, I do not consider the... Um, art schools from my real, you know, like middle school or high school, actually that enjoyable because it was a really, really short class. It's like only 30 to 40 minutes per week. Yeah, there's not much going on. And then the teacher can only teach us theory related stuff. They, we cannot really do a whole project even in the, in the whole class. So uh, that was a little sad. But Aside from that, I mean, I was doing that on the on the side on weekends anyway, so that was not a big deal. Yeah. So the other subjects, um, which is called you know like the core subjects where everybody pay attention, a lot of attention, is actually English. Yeah, English was my favorite subjects. Um, not only I found that um because my teacher motivates me a lot um, to, because I, I improved actually in the process as I like this language. I put myself in some kind of um, context, you know, training myself in the conversation. So I can, like, for example, I'm talking right now and then I pretend myself is on the other side of the person. I'm talking to myself, you know, like having this kind of random conversation going on um, on my commute to school, which is funny, but uh, I think my spoken uh, part of the language yeah, improved a lot and that has improved my reading, comprehension, listening, and many other parts. So yeah, I really enjoyed, I guess, the communication part about this. And then it was English that um, that I discovered the way of learning that actually pushed me to study hard on other subjects as well, which I think I can, you know, I found very interesting where if you're good at something, you can actually transition that kind of learning method into other subjects. Yeah, maybe Yan, you can try that as well. Like if you like social studies, you can try using that kind of learning experience, you know, a way of learning to other subjects. Yeah, um, that's about the favorite subjects. What about the least favorite subjects you know and why and right so currently i feel like uh my least favorite subject is math not necessarily based off the teachers or the experience just based off you know what we have to do in class currently in our school system you know we're forced to follow a lesson plan mm. that's given by our district so 
each lesson we have to do this, each lesson we have to do that. And as you said earlier, the reason why I like art is because there's creation, you know, creativity in mm. uh, what you're doing. And I find that doing math, you know, reciting formulas, you know, doing math equations on a paper, you know, being limited to having to do the same thing over and over again, <laughs> um, that's, I, I don't find that very enjoyable for me. So um, that's my experience in my least favorite subject. But, you know, I, I feel like it's mainly psychological. Mm. As long as you, you know, you believe that, oh, right, you know, we're doing this for a reason. That's what I tell myself in my head every day. And it, it helps, you know, get through the class, right? See, what you're learning right now might seem boring. But, you know, we might have to use this in the future, right? This might be a necessary life skill. And yeah, I find a lot of motivation in what I do by setting goals um, for the future, say for like each quarter, you know, uh-huh. even though I don't like this subject, I'm going to try my hardest and get like an A or above a 93. Yeah. And that really motivates me to try to improve and do better in that one class. Wow. Wow, Yang, you are very inspirational. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this because, you know, like I think your example can really inspire some kids to try, you know, hard subjects that they don't really like. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is great. Yeah, I, I love that motivation part where, um, yeah, you st- you would still give it a try, you know, even though it's hard, even though you don't like it that much, but because it will help you, you know, like to study uh, in the future and get to where you want to be and you still try your best to do that. Yeah. So I here I have a very interesting question for you, Yang. Yeah. So if the concept of school doesn't exist, what would be the best ways you wanted to learn? Yeah, basically you think that you can learn the most and you will enjoy the most. Yeah, what would that be? All right, so that's actually a really good question because uh, I think it would address a few things I don't like about the current school system. Um, I've talked with some of my peers and uh, we think that, uh, I think it should be more freedom and more uh just basically less limited to just a few things right if you pursue a career path you know you don't have to learn any unnecessary things so just as an example if you really enjoy you know helping people enjoy and um and you really want to become a doctor you're not gonna you know need to spend most of your life or just you know a lot a large section of your life at school sitting at a table just memorizing algorithms or formulas in math you know that's not really necessary so i feel like if the concept of school doesn't exist um being at home right we could be uh we could be more free i think pursuing a singular uh, career path and learning things about that one thing would be uh really helpful and just basically homeschooling uh, learning online taking different lessons and basically not being limited to you know the only six uh class choices that you have in school so in my opinion i think you know that's the best way that i would learn if there was no school so you know what about you because i know you probably have different ideas of what you think should happen yeah you know thinking back like about my experience interesting or not you know i was really bad at math but i was actually really good at physics 
I thought, you know, this two supposed to connect together, but somehow they are not. Yeah. The reason when I think back again is I grown up in the countryside. Yeah. When I was young, like I was hanging out with all of my cousins all over the place, you know, on the trees, in the hills and, you know, on the, um, yeah, in water, in rivers and everything. So I feel like I have experienced a lot of nature, you know, type of experience that a lot of kids nowadays in the cities were not able to get. Yeah. Because of that, I think I have a lot of connections, you know, to the type of things that happen in in physics. Yeah. Whenever I was like learning, you know, study about physics, I imagine myself, you know, in that situation, say, you know, like mm, putting in the water in the bottle and then put another, you know, stick on top and see if it floats, you know, if it drops and how was that way? I, my imagination toward that level, you know, to physics actually acts really well because of the experience I had in the childhood. So thinking back, like if I would be able, I was thinking like, whoa, what if, you know, what if I have the same, I'm like producing the same kind of results, you know, where I'm learning, but I was able to play through the whole subjects. Like I can have fun as much as I can with friends, you know, as uh, with classmates, just like how I enjoyed and had fun when I was in, you know, in my primary school, when I lived in the countryside. But if there's a teacher right there play with me and while teaching me how everything works and why this does this and why this you know works that way, I think that will be the perfect way that I learn, you know, like gaining the knowledge through playing, through experiencing real life um, things around me. And, and I will enjoy it much more and, re, you know, accept the knowledge much faster too if, yeah, as time transitions, yeah. So it's just like, you know, reflection from that. And I think a lot of times, um, a lot of schools are trying to build that kind of experience nowadays too, you know, like we call it project-based learning, you know, or personalized learning, yeah, based on whatever you like, yeah. So yeah, interesting. So I think these are all wonderful, um, great discussions. Yeah. Um, since our whole series is about education, yeah, yeah. Can we give a glimpse of um, what the series is about? Yeah. So the first guest we're going to have invited is Dr. Yunua Li, and she is the director of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in China. Uh, she is also the founder of E2 International School, and that school is really focused on personalizing learning and finding every kid's own successes. The first school they built was in Beijing, and then in Guangzhou, and now they're going to build another E2 school in Palo Alto called the Imagination Lab School. Uh, so she's going to talk about what real success is for all kids and parents in that episode. Wonderful, yeah. So the second guest we have is Dr. Dennis Licky. He is a co-founder and co-director of the Matt School. Uh, he's a co-founder for Big Picture Learning, and also he's a founder and president of College Unbound. So Dr. Licky was described as an influential thinker and radical educator, and he has not yeah, just helped reimagining 
um, the school system, but also recreating education experience. So the math school and big picture, big picture learning are well known by their internship programs along with their high school teaching programs. Yeah, and they can really find students' passion um, through their real world ex experiences. I actually met Dr. Uh, Lucky in person because he was able to travel to San Francisco. Yeah, on that weekend for some other things he had going on. Currently, Dr. Lucky's school uh, system they had a network of 113 schools, uh, 22 across the country 40 in Australia and 21 in Netherlands so being as passionate as Dr. Licky even though you know he has done so much in the educational field for almost 40 years and he still finds passion and mission in his new initiative called College Unbound um, a college that gives everyone a second chance about you know to finish their college degree and I was really inspired by Dr. Licky and his passion toward education that yeah I think it's just amazing um, how much he has worked and he choose to continue to work in this field yeah right and then our third guest uh, we have over is Mr. Larry Rosenstock and he's the founding fellow uh, the founding father of the C and the CEO of San Diego based High Tech High. Uh, High Tech High is a network of charter schools and he's also the president of High Tech High Graduate School of Education. Uh, Mr. Rosenstock started High Tech High as one of the founders, and for the past almost 20 years, they have grown High Tech High into an educational system that has 16 schools that are spread among elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. So High Tech High school system are known for their real-world project and community connections, where students can turn class projects into hands-on uh, solutions that can potentially serve the real world or a group of communities. The fourth guest we have is Color Vigil. She is a co-founder and chief connector for Ed Leaders of Color in Rhode Island. Color also works as a district and school design senior associate at the Center of Collaborative Education, where she works as a thought partner in the development of frameworks and resource centered on equity, culturally responsive teaching, and also personalized learning. Before that, she was an education strategy specialist with Highlander Institute, and also she has served as a fourth grade teacher before. Through the series of exploration on education, I personally was able to see a much bigger picture in this whole educational um, industry. And of course, meet a lot of passionate people, you know, in person, like Dr. Licky and Dr. Inouye. And all of them have been working in education for, for decades. Yeah, so I really hope this can help you either um, as a kid who are still in school, uh, as a parent who are still looking for the best resources that are out there for your kids, or even as a teacher yeah, who is trying to teach the best to the next generation of students and then uh, help them to change the world as well. Yeah. Okay, so this has been a great introduction about the series. So again, yeah. thanks everybody who's tuning into Spark, where all kids are empowered to learn, create, and become. Yes, I'm the host, Lee. I'm the co-host, Yang. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at peachandplumlab.com.